0: Well, good morning, Trinity Church. My name is Doug, and I am your interim lead pastor. And I have two questions for you this morning. One is, what is the greatest pizza you have ever had? (laughs) Think about it for just a second or two. Maybe it's a kind of pizza. Maybe it's the place. But on the count of three, I just want you to shout out either the kind or place where you've gotten the greatest pizza you've ever had, right? You got it in mind? One, two, three... Oh, man, we have, we have pizza lovers here this morning. <laughs> hey, for me, it was uh, Gino's East in Chicago on the Magnificent Mile. It's at 162 East Dearborn Street, and it's the deep dish Chicago pizza, right? You guys know it was started in 1966 by two taxi cab drivers, Sam and Fred, and they uh, brought in one of the competitors' uh, uh, bakers. Uh, her name was Alice May Redmond. And for 29 years, she made the most amazing pizzas in the world. So whenever you step into Gino's East, you step down into it, actually. And as you come into it, the smell of baking bread, melting cheese, sautéing sausage. It just, yeah, right, right? It just fills your nostrils, and it compels you toward one of the big, tall wooden booth, so you, you sit down in the booth, they hand you a menu, and you begin to read it, but the only thing on your mind is deep dish Chicago pizza with sausage on top. But as you're in the booth, you can also look at all of the initials and dates and little love notes that have been etched into the wooden booths, and then you can drool as those big deep dish pieces, pizzas go right by your table to other customers, right? There's nothing quite like a deep dish Chicago pizza. Got an inch of beer batter crust, inch and a half of pure melting mozzarella cheese. Yes. And a plethora of seasoned sausage on top. It's practically heaven with a lot of (laughs) of carb loading going on, right? Oh man, oh man. Could you guys smell it when you came in? We'll save that for later. And actually, this pizza belongs to you guys this morning. Right here. So if you want to come up afterwards, we have plates and napkins. And you can enjoy it together. By the way, it pays to sit up front in Trinity Church. (laughs) That's the first question. My second question is... Who is the greatest God you've ever served? Think about it. Now, for us, that's kind of a strange question. We're a Bible church. We're based on the Word of God. We know our God. But in our world today, that's a very easy question for people to think about. What's the greatest God you've ever served? Because it's a variety of gods in our world today, small g. So on the count of three, I'd like you to have you just shout out your favorite name for God. So if you got it in your mind... Jesus, Yahweh, Father, Abba, whatever it might be. Count of three. Shout out aloud the name, your favorite name of God, the great God we serve. One, two, three. Excellent. I actually heard an Elohim over here. That was great. Today we are uh, taking some time in Malachi chapter two to talk about the greatness of of the God that we serve. In fact, if you have your Bibles this morning, I hope you do, would you open them to Malachi, and we're in chapter 2. And in this part of the book, you remember last week, Malachi spent some time talking to the people and the priests about how they honored him, how they respected him with their sacrifices. And he called out to them to bring the best of all that they've had. And he says the same to us today. But in chapter 2, he continues this conversation with the priests, And he challenges them, he challenges the priests and actually God's people to intensify their faith in how great God is. So he's shifting from the sacrificial system a little bit to the identity of God. And that's, by the way, why we're calling the sermon series Intensity, because this is what God is calling us to, a passionate, deepened, intense faith in God. So he's writing to the spiritual leaders of Israel, but today we would say he would be writing to the pastors and elders of our churches, but also to us, because the New Testament refers to you and I as priests of God. We are actually representatives of God in our world today. And you notice in 1 Peter 2 9, we'll look at this just briefly. Peter writes to us and he says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation a people for God's own possession, that you may claim, and listen to this, the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So as we look at Malachi today, don't think this is just Old Testament stuff. This is stuff that God has given Malachi for his people in his time, but also for us today as God's priests. Now, in Malachi's day, the, the literal priest's, we were, were dropping the ball in terms of God's greatness. They were playing hooky from the task. They were watering down the identity of God and his standards, and they were basically serving themselves rather than God. And so in verses 1 through 9, which is where we're at this morning in Malachi chapter 2, we watch as these spiritual leaders fail to honor the greatness of God's name, and we also read how God finally came to the end of the road with them, and he finally says to them, Look, If you do not honor the greatness of my name, and he gives them a specific name, then I will bring upon you the curse. And in Hebrew, it's literally the curse, which comes out of Deuteronomy, chapters 27 through 30. So at this point in in his relationship with the leaders of Israel, God has stopped cutting bait. He's fishing. He says, this is the moment. Uh, I'm looking for change from you. I want to see if you will listen to me. I want to see if you will allow your hearts to be softened toward me. I want to uh, understand how you think about me and what you're going to do about it. But as we're going to see, their response is actually quite weak. And God responds with this graphic and putrid response to them. So this morning, he's doing two things for us with regard to his name. Number one, he's telling us his name is great, And he will always guard it. God is proactive about his character and preserving the greatness of his name. So let's read together in Malachi 2, and we're going to look first of all at verses 1 through 3, and then skip down to verses 8 and 9, where he brings up the same uh, ideas again. He says, And now, O priests, this command is for you. If you will not listen you will not take it to heart to give honor to my name, says the Lord of hosts. Then I will send the curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings. Indeed, I have already cursed them because you did not take it to heart. Behold, I rebuke your offspring. The word there is seed. I spread dung on your faces, the dung of your offerings, and you shall be taken away with it. Now look down at verses 8 and 9. But you have turned aside from the way, and you have caused many to stumble by your instruction. You have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts, and so I will make you despised and abased among all the people, inasmuch as you did not keep my ways, but you showed partiality in your instruction. So this passage reveals to us God's response to a group of people who are kind of dissing him and saying, God, you're not all that important. You're not that fantastic or, or great. And he says to them two things. First of all, you notice back in verses 1 through 3, he vehemently cautions these spiritual leaders to hit the brakes on their behavior because of who he is. Look again, it says, this is my command for you. Now, this is actually the word decree. It's from a superior to an inferior, a judge to a plaintiff, a major to a buck private. And he basically says to them, halt or else you got to stop what you're doing. This is a very serious moment. It's a command of God, a decree of God. You need to listen. You need to take to heart my name and honor it. And you need to hearken to me, soften what's going on inside, respond obediently. And the heartbeat of this command is this one thing. It is the name and actions of who he is, the Lord of hosts. You shouldn't underline that or write it down. The Lord of hosts. So that's the first thing he does. The second thing in verses 8 and 9 is he spotlights their wicked actions and choices, and he exposes the impact of the behavior on the people that they're leading, the people they're engaged with, the people they're helping to develop spiritually. And he tells them this is not just a personal issue for you guys. This has corporate implications. It's a broader thing than just your own rebellion. This is corporately destructive. And he reminds them that their choices and behavior are impacting a lot of everyday folks around them. This would be like the person who failed to sound the emergency siren in Maui, right? It wasn't just their failure, it impacted hundreds of thousands of people. And so he cautions them and and he says, you have turned from the way. What does that sound like to you in today's culture? It's okay, we can say Mandalorian, right? (laughs) The way. This is the way. And he talks about the way for them, which was to honor God's great name. So what is his great name? Well, we see it in the text in verse 2. It's the Lord of hosts. This is uh, actually the words Jehovah Sabaoth. Now, you'll see it sometimes in Scripture that way, Jehovah, Jehovah Sabaoth, which means the Lord of hosts. Folks, interestingly, this word shows up 239 times in the Old Testament, this phrase, the Lord of hosts. That is a significant amount. And what God is saying to us is he wants us to know I am the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of hosts, the Lord. And if you go through all of the passages, you begin to get this sense that God wants this ingrained in our thinking. Now, Malachi is four chapters long. How many times does he use this phrase of God? A tenth of the time, it shows up in the old testament 24 times in four chapters the lord of hosts lord of hosts lord of hosts he's hammering at home for these people and he wants them to understand this description of god should be defining of who you are and how you respond to him so what does it mean to be the lord of hosts well we could look at all 239 passages this morning we won't but let me give you just a few of them Amos chapter 4, verse 13. It'll be up on the screen for you. It says, For behold, he who forms the mountains and creates the wind and declares to man what are his thoughts, he who makes dawn into darkness and treads on the high places of the earth, the Lord God of hosts, Sabaoth, is his name. So think about what Amos is saying. He's saying this is the God of creation. This is the God who controls nature. This is the God who knows your thoughts and my thoughts. I am the Lord of hosts. Isaiah writes in chapter 31 of his book, verses 4 and 5, For thus says Jehovah to me, as the lion or the young lion growls over his prey, so you have to kind of picture that like, uh, you know, National Geographic or some YouTube on wild animals, as they growl over their prey against a band of shepherds who is called out, he will not be terrified at their voice, nor disturbed at their noise, so will the Lord of hosts, Come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like flying birds, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will pass over and rescue it. So he's talking about in times of conflict, in times of fierce battle, in times when fear and courage are on the field, he will be the God who will rescue and deliver. Let me give you one more. Also in Isaiah, chapter 44, verse 6. Thus says Jehovah, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, I am the last, there is no God besides me. Where else in Scripture do you hear those phrases, I am the beginning and the end? I am the first and the last. Revelation. Revelation. And we see Jesus himself claiming this. And so he says, I am the one who has no true beginning. I am eternal. There is no other God besides me. I am the greatest. I like the way one biblical commentator describes this. We'll put this up on the screen as well because I think his, his insights are helpful. He says, The Lord of hosts is God's name for man's extremity. Those times when we have reached our end, finding ourselves impotent, in turmoil, embroiled in real spiritual warfare, and with no other source of help. The Lord of hosts, Jehovah Sabaoth, is the name of God, We find used in scripture when a man or woman is at the end of their rope, so to speak. He's that strong tower available for them at times when we fail and are powerless, when our resources are inadequate, when there is no other help. And it is especially during those times that one comes to appreciate that God is truly the Lord of the armies of all the hosts. In short, the Lord of God speaks of God's available power in our time of trouble. So he says, meditate deeply on the truths revealed in the magnificent, sufficient name of the Lord of hosts, and you will find that you will be enabled to stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with the truth. This is the phrase for God, who is the Lord of all of the angelic warrior hosts, so that when you and I come to the end of ourselves and we're overwhelmed and we're struggling and we're stressed and frustrated, he says, you need to turn to the Lord of the heavenly armies, who has no opponent who can stand, who has the solution to every problem, who is able to meet our deepest needs. In fact, let me pause here for just a minute. And would you bow your heads and let's come before this great God, the Lord of hosts. And would you bring before him any challenges you're feeling right now, any tests you're struggling with, any obstacles you can't get past, disputes, Strains, pains, would you just right now identify that in your heart and mind and say, Oh Lord of hosts, would you come and help me? Lord, we pray this in full assurance of who you are. We've sung about it this morning. You are the great God, the Lord of hosts, and we praise you for that this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So some of you are very familiar with this phrase because it was written into one of the great hymns of Christian hymnody by Martin Luther. He wrote this song after his good friend, Leonard Kaiser, was martyred back during the uh, uh, Reformation era. And it's the song called A Mighty Fortress Is Our God. Anybody... Remember that one, right? We we sing it off and on. Let me read to you the words. And at the end, he uses this Jehovah Sabaoth is his name. But what he's saying there is the Lord of hosts. Listen to this. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. Our helper amidst the flood, the mortal ills prevailing. For still our ancient foe does seek to work us woe. His craft and power are great and armed with cruel hate. On earth is not his equal. Talking about Satan, our ancient foe. God resists him. He has power over him. Notice the next uh, set of lines. Did we in our own strength confide? Our striving would be losing. Were not the right man on our side, the man of God's own choosing? Do you ask who that may be? Christ Jesus, it is he. Lord Sabaoth, his name. Lord of hosts, his name. From age to age, the same, and he must win the battle. We see this woven throughout the Old Testament. We see it woven into our hymns. And Malachi says, We need to listen. We need to soften our hearts. We need to come before him. And for these priests, he says, If you will not, in fact, God says, I I recognize you are not listening. Your hearts are hard. Here is the curse it will be on your blessings. That's kind of an interesting phrase. I will curse your blessings. So it's not just I'm going to curse you. I'm going to curse the good things you've been called to, the good things that are in your life, the good things you hope for your life, so that whatever is a blessing of God to them, it will become a curse. Whatever is positive from God in them, it will become negative. Whatever is good from God, it will become bad. And this wording is reminiscent of Deuteronomy. We mentioned that earlier, 27 through 30. This is where God says to Israel, on two separate mountains, these are the blessings if you obey, and they shouted them to the other half of the Israelites on the other mountain. These are the curses that will come upon you if you do not obey. I'm making this covenant relationship with you. I give you all of these blessings, but it's contingent on your honoring me, your obeying me. Listen to the heartbeat of Moses' comments to these people. It's in Deuteronomy 29, and he says after hearing all of the curses and blessings, it comes down to this. Here's what he writes. Make sure there is no man or woman, clan or tribe among you today whose heart turns away from the Lord our God to go and worship the gods of other nations. Make sure there's no root among you that produces such bitter poison. When such a person hears the words of this oath and they invoke blessing on themselves, thinking, I will be safe even though I persist in going my own way. Do you hear that? I'll be fine. God doesn't mean it. I can choose to act how I desire, and God will just kind of put up with it along the way. He says, make sure that when a person hears these words, they don't invoke this blessing on themselves. I'll be fine, for that will bring disaster on the watered land as well as the dry. The Lord will never be willing to forgive them. His wrath and zeal will burn against them. All the curses written in this book will fall on them, and the Lord will blot out their names from under heaven. One commentator put it this way The heart of the problem has always been the problem of the heart That's the heart of the problem That's what he's saying to these priests If you're not going to listen, if you don't take it to heart Here's what happens when you don't do that So God describes in this passage, in these verses Four specific aspects of this curse that apply to them Number one, you may want to write these down They're not on the overhead, they're not up on Overhead, listen to me, they're not on the screen I'm still teaching from an old overhead Number one, a reversal of their words. So these spiritual leaders are communicating what they think is truth to the people, but God says, I'm going to flip that. In fact, it's interesting, if you go to Numbers chapter 6, you find in the Bible uh, this statement to Aaron and his sons, the Levites and the priests. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons, saying, you shall bless the people of Israel. You shall say this to them. And this is going to be familiar for you folks. We use this in different contexts today. Here's what you're to say to them to bless them. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. you Remember hearing these words in different settings? We hear them at weddings and other places. So shall uh, they put my name upon the people of Israel. Listen to that. So shall they put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. He says to the priests, that power is going to cease. So when you announce to the people you are blessed, I won't bless them. When you say to the people you are forgiven, I will not forgive them. When you assure the people they are pleasing to God, I will not accept them. I am cursing your blessing. So God rips the stuffing out of their work. All all the things they do for the people has no meaning anymore because of the curse. God says, secondly, I'll remove the provision, my provision from you. And you see the word offering there, or excuse me, offspring, that's the word seed in the Hebrew. It could mean literally the crops, the tithes and offerings that come into a priest's life that sustain him and he could you know, grow his own crops. He says, no, no, that is going to be gone. That supply will cease. But it can also mean children, interestingly. So that's thirdly, he says, I will rebuke your offspring. I will literally cause them to no longer follow me. They will not be a priest in your lineage. You're the last of the line. I will rebuke them and I will keep them from continuing. How many of us as parents ever want that to be said of our children? They will stop following in your footsteps. They're not going to be interested in me. They're going to just float around looking for other things. What a horrible part of the curse. And then lastly, God gets very graphic with them. And he says, I will smear refuge, refuse on your face. So when they would bring a lamb to be sacrificed, the law said you would take the intestines and all that it contained outside the city and burn them, they are unclean. God says, because you are not honoring me and my name, I will take the contents of the refuse and I will smear it on your face and boot you out of the city. Warren Wiersbe puts it this way. In short God was saying you're treating me with disrespect so I'll treat you like garbage. You don't value the priestly ministry, why should you be in office? This was absolutely appropriate since their lives had already rendered them fit, unfit to serve. So what is Malachi saying to us? He's saying to them as priests, he's saying to us as spiritual leaders, pastors, elders and the priests of God's church, the individuals who are representing him, it makes a difference when we pay attention to the word. It makes a difference if our spiritual leaders pray for us and speak God's truth to us and honor God fully. It makes a difference if Trinity Church continues to be a bastion of truth and honoring God and we know his character and his power and we clearly communicate it to others. It does matter if we are doing that or not. And the reason is because God notices how we respond to him and he guards his name. Number two. The second point that Malachi makes to us, it says he says, God's name makes all the difference for life and peace. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, I want life, and we'll define that in a minute. It's not just breathing. And I want peace in my life. I want wholeness. I want soundness. I want dependability. He says, the name of God makes all the difference for this. Look at verses 4 through 7. He says, so then, priests... You will know that I have sent this command to you, this decree, that my covenant with Levi may stand, says the Lord of hosts. When all of these things happen, those four curses I just talked about, and they're already happening, I've already cursed you, you're going to know this command was from me. But you're also going to know that my covenant with Levi will stand. I will continue to bless those who respond to me, just like Levi did, with life and peace. I will give these to them. Verse 5. My covenant with him was one of life and peace. I gave them to him. It was a covenant of fear, and he feared me. He stood in awe of my name. True instruction was in his mouth, and no wrong was found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness, and and he turned many from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should guard knowledge, and people should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. You will not find a covenant with Levi mentioned anywhere in the Bible. Now, that doesn't mean this is inaccurate. There are so many places where Levi was responding to God appropriately, where he was a good priest. And in several of those places, it says God blessed him, God set him aside. And so we get the sense Malachi's talking about all of this. But there's one place in Exodus 32. I'd like to have you turn to that passage briefly. It's in verses 19 through 29. And it's one of those significant stories we tell our kids about the golden calf and the Ten Commandments, right? And how Moses is coming off the mountain with the Ten Commandments and he sees all this hubbub going on with Israel and this huge revelry and party and he's thinking, what is happening? And he gets down there in verse 19. It says when he uh, approached the camp, he saw the calf and the dancing. And Moses' anger burned hot. And he threw the tablets out of his hand and he broke them at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf that had been made and he burned it with fire, ground it to powder, scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. That's quite a process there. Here's your Gatorade. You've been worshiping this God. You're now going to internalize it and eliminate it. Verse 21 says, Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people. They're set on evil. Right, Aaron. You know the people. It's their fault. They said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. He's been gone 40 days. So I said to them, let any of you who have gold take it off. And they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf again. Right. (laughs) When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, Moses stood at the gate of the camp, and he said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And it says that the Levites came. We're on the Lord's side. We know who he is. We will honor God. And at that point, the text goes on to say that God blessed them. And he said, your intensity for me is great. You have zeal for me. And so God gives to the tribe of Levi these two gifts, life and peace. Now, here's life. It's not just the length of days, but it's a life lived to their fullest potential. This is one of the key verses for Lisa and I with our nonprofit, Living My Potential. Because God says, I will take you to the fullest expression of your life. I will help you to succeed in areas you don't think you can, but but my blessing on you will do it. I will give you life, fullness of life. And I'll give you this peace. It's a life filled with good, strength, harmony, wholeness. That's the word shalom, to be made whole. Notice how life and peace are dealt with in Scripture. If you ever wonder, well, is this truly God's goodness to me today? Look at this. Proverbs 3, 1 and 2. My son and daughter, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. What we have here, our response to it, how we take it into our hearts, this is what brings us into the presence of God and his blessing. Look at Romans, if you think this isn't a New Testament idea. Romans 8, 5 and 6. For those who live according to the flesh, this is what I desire when I want it, they set their minds on the things of the flesh. We not only have our heart for it, we begin to think about it and we do it. He says, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is what? Life and peace. You can find this written throughout the New Testament. Peter writes this in his epistle as well. After he talks about being priests, he goes on to talk about life and peace. And the point is this. When we follow God and honor his name like this, we become people who have true instruction in our mouths. So as a parent, when you're teaching your kids or homeschooling them like the Pavonis are doing, true instruction comes out of this relationship with God. There is no unrighteousness found in their mouths. You have to go back to Malachi for these final points. No unrighteousness is found on their lips. There's no deception. There's no hiding things. They understand God's purposes, and they serve him according to that. They walk with God in peace and uprightness. They turn people back from iniquity and sin. I love that last part, because your life does make a difference. It matters. People watch us, and they say, look at this person who loves the Lord of hosts, who obeys his word. I want to be like that. When we find something great, we should pursue it. Let me tell you one final story and then we'll conclude. When I was defending my dissertation at Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, I flew back there. It's an all-day oral exam. And I'd spent the night before reminding myself of my 300 pages of dissertation. And then you sit down with three professors and they go through all of the details of it. And you're taking notes on on your dissertation, you know, because you have to go back and revise it. And and I got all done with that, and I have an evening flight scheduled out of O'Hare. And I thought to myself, I'm in Chicago. I should go to Gino's East. And so I did. I drove over to Gino's East. They sell frozen pizzas, right? They're deep dish pizzas. I bought a large, put it in the rental car, went to to O'Hare, returned the rental car, made sure I had the pizza, right? Got all my stuff, get on the shuttle, head over to O'Hare, I'm pulling my things out of the shuttle and I realize I have forgotten something. My dissertation papers are in the trunk of my rental car. And I I panicked, it's like, oh, I have all my notes on there. So I told the shuttle driver, hey, can you take me back? He goes, oh, of course, of course. I've got all my other stops to make first. And I'm sitting there going, hurry, 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 hurry. Got back to the rental car company, got the car, Open up the trunk, oh, thank God, there are my dissertation papers. I grab them, pizza, everything else, shuttle back to O'Hare. I have missed my flight. (laughs) So there I am in O'Hare with my somewhat unfreezing pizza at this point. They tell me, yeah, we got a red eye we can give you. Great, I just need to get home. So I get on the plane. I put the pizza in the overhead compartment over me. (laughs) I'm not letting that out of my sight, right? About an hour into the flight, my seatmate nudges me, he goes, you know, it's the weirdest thing, but it just smells like Chicago pizza in here. Do you smell that? <laughs> no, no, I mean, not no. You know, you pull that out and everybody's going, yeah, Chicago pizza. I finally got home, I, c- I was so tired, I couldn't even find my car at the San Diego airport. You know, the little remote? I couldn't remember which parking lot I had parked in. And so I'm just looking at shuttles going by saying, God, please remind me which one I took. I just grabbed one finally, ended up in their parking lot, and I'm walking around, beep, 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 beep. I finally found it in 15 minutes, drove home, got home at midnight. You know how good pizza tastes at midnight? I will go to great lengths to get deep dish Chicago pizza from Geno's East, right? What kind of lengths will we go to to honor our great God, who is so much greater than this stuff? the Lord of hosts. What will we do as people to pursue this great God, to listen to him, to give him our hearts? Let me end with this final quote. Came from one of the commentators this week. I think he wraps up Malachi too well. He says, through the power of the Holy Spirit, God uses faithful spiritual leaders. Put your name in there. You are a priest of God as instruments, to turn people away from the emptiness of their sin, to show them the delight of living a life for God. As a priest of God, do you study the truth? As a leader, as a spiritual leader, do you study the truth? Do you speak the truth first to yourself and then to others? As a result, does it affect your life, bringing peace and righteousness? And are you so captivated by the change that God has wrought in you that you can't but help share this saving joy with others? God's ministers, God's people, love God so much that they want to know him and be like him and lead others to know and be like him as well. So, this is the question for us today as we wrap up. Is your pastor, your elders, are you characterized by these things? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord of hosts, the great and mighty God, the God who leads the armies of angelic hosts in our world to confront the weaknesses we feel. Oh God, we pray that you would be honored in our lives. We admit to you that when we feel the weakest, when we struggle the most, when we're hurting and overwhelmed, our temptation... Father is to seek what I want out of life, to seek to be pursuing my interests, to rely solely upon me and what I can do. And and it's at that moment you come to us and you say, why? I am the Lord of the armies of heaven. Let me help you. And so God, help us to listen to this. Help us to take this to heart. Help us to obey your word and become lights and beacons to a world around us who truly needs that kind of greatness. So, Father, help us to pursue you in the light of this passage this morning, we pray in your name. Amen. Don't forget to come up here for this pizza afterwards. Plates and napkin. I'm taking this piece with me.